0: Well, thank you, Gary, for those kind words, and uh, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure and delight for me to be back with you this year. I had a wonderful time uh, last year with you at this conference, wonderful fellowship and uh, teaching, and food. <laughs> that was good. And the weather wasn't bad last year, but I think we've excelled this year, and uh I was reading an article in the Belfast Telegraph yesterday that said the Belfast Reform Club. Does anybody know what the Belfast Reform Club is? It's a a gentleman's club in the centre, in Royal Avenue in Belfast, a good gentleman's club that um, you have to pay quite high fees to get into and you have to be a member there or be invited along by a member. And they uh, brought in a little exclusion to the rules that you didn't have to wear a jacket. You always have to wear a jacket if you go in there. But there was a little exclusion due to the weather at the moment. So I should have applied for an exclusion tonight. So as I could have worn my shorts and my t-shirt, because everything's just sticking to me. But anyway, I will not worry about that this evening. It's been a blessing. Thank you for your ministry, Mark, this morning and uh, Brian last night. And I'm looking forward to the rest of our time. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter. And the subject, just in case this is your first uh, time at the conference Uh, this year. The the overarching subject is overcoming adversity. Um, I don't always go (laughs) with the theme. (laughs) I can't even tell you what the theme was last year. I just felt led to to speak on the Father Heart of God. But um, I am going with the theme tonight. Uh, But I want us to pray before we read any scripture or um, consider anything just... Because we want God to move... Hmm? And we get into, I don't know about you, but we get into routine very quickly. In in all of our church gatherings and in our conferences and in our lives, even with our devotional walk with God, we get into habits. And it's not bad to have discipline in your life, but sometimes the habitual familiar can rob us of the uh, supernatural moments that God wants to break in through and past our habits and do something different and i like to shake things up a little bit in my own devotional life and i think god likes to shake things up a bit sometimes when we gather together so let's be open to what god wants to do and uh, maybe he wants to shake us up tonight so i want you to pray to god now before we come to his word would you pray just a very personal prayer from your own heart lord would you come to me whatever way you want would you shake me up? Would you speak to me? Would you minister to my heart? Uh, would you come into our midst in a way that we will recognize that God is doing something? That's what we want, all right? If the truth, and I love this conference, um, and I fall in love with you folk, but if the truth's told, I can leave meetings now. I, I'm not really that interested in just going to meetings and showing up and preaching and so on. We want to encounter God. We want to have real experiences of God, because he is real, and he does real things. So, Father, we just reverence your name. We thank you for the songs that we've been singing. We hope we have been worshiping you, and certainly you've been ministering to our hearts. Thank you that we know who we are, or we hope we know who we are in you. You are our Father, and we are your children, and it's who you say we are that matters. And we just pray that you'll come and minister to us now. And Holy Spirit, whatever we need, that you will meet our needs to glorify Jesus. Father, we ask this in his mighty name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So we read from verse 12 of First Peter 4. Verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Can I read that again? <laughs> because I think that's a word f- directly from the Lord. Before I begin to expound anything, I think that's a word for someone right here. Do, dear friends, do not be surprised. Are you surprised what's going on in your life just now? The Lord says, the word of the Lord is, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. (laughs) What? But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God, rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, I want to draw your attention, first of all, in introduction to this verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Do you realize that we as Christians, and Christians is a nickname, it means little Christs or Christ's followers, we are meant to be duplicates of Jesus Christ. We are meant to spread Jesus everywhere. We're meant to look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus, smell like Jesus. It's literally what Ephesians talks about. As we walk in the Spirit, But that means we we walk the path that Jesus walked. We walk as he walks, John says, in this world. We are as he is in this world. And I, I just felt impressed when I was sitting here. I hadn't prepared to say this and some of you may have heard me say this recently at another conference, but I felt in the light of the ministry that I brought last year, and some of you were talking about it already with me, about the Father heart of God, which for some some people here was revolutionary. And one uh, gentleman, senior gentleman in the faith, I hope he doesn't mind me calling him that, but he has the gray hairs of wisdom and maturity, and he said to me for the first time last year after this conference, he felt the liberty to address Father God as dada or daddy in heaven and he was never able to do that before that was such a blessing to my heart but i want you to understand listen and this will all come together in the message that i'm bringing but you've got to understand who father god is to face adversity you've got to understand that and let me show you why in matthew chapter 3 jesus is baptized and when he's baptized the heavens open And God says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom is all my delight. And then at the very beginning of chapter 4, it says the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit, now not some demonic spirit. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted stroke tested by the devil. And the first two temptations or testings of the devil... He began them by saying these words, If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. So what is he doing? In the testing, he is attacking his identity as the Son of God. And can I tell you, that's what happened at the very beginning. At the first temptation and the first testing, it wasn't a wilderness, it was a garden. Beautiful garden. There weren't wild beasts, but there were tame beasts. And so it was totally different. It was a paradise. And yet in the midst of that, Satan came and said, did God really say in the day that you eat this you'll die? And what he was doing is he was casting doubt on their identity that God was withholding something from them. In the day that you eat this, you'll be like God. So God's God's a killjoy. God's robbing you of something. God's spoiling life on you. God's not really good. And can I tell you something? That every test, every trial, every temptation that you will go through in this life, the enemy will come with his voice in the midst of it to say, is this God you're serving really good? If he's letting you experience this. Does he really love you? Has anybody ever heard that? But I want you to know something further. When Satan tempted Jesus to behave effectively as an orphan and not as the son of God, to get things for himself, whether through his miraculous powers to turn stone to bread or to jump off the, 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 the pinnacle of the temple or, or to get all the kingdoms of the world by bowing down to Satan. You notice first two temptations. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. But God did not pronounce them from the open heaven at his baptism, to be the son of God. If you look at it, he didn't say, this is my son. What did he say? This is my beloved son. And listen, (laughs) if I can give you this tip, and I didn't prepare to speak like this, but if I can give you the first fundamental tip, Sedge weighing from last year's ministry, If you want to know how to overcome adversity, you need to know who you are as the beloved of God. You need to understand that your father in heaven, your papa, your dada, your daddy God in heaven is the creator of the universe. And as this last verse that we read together, we are to experience and partake of the sufferings of Jesus. But the last verse 19 says, then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. And continue to do good. He is faithful. And our Father is the creator of the universe. Amen. Amen. But my message tonight. (laughs) I've entitled facing facts. Facing facts. And the first fact that we have to face. Is what Jesus said. And Mark quoted it this morning. From John 16.33. He said. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, the things that he was telling them were terrible things that were going to happen to Jesus, were going to happen to his disciples, his followers. And he says, I've told you these things so that you'll have peace. <laughs> but he says, so that you'll have peace in me. Now, you see, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Can I confess something to you? I generally, as a Christian have found peace in my circumstances. I'm a very peaceful person when everything's going well. (laughs) When all my circumstances are tranquil and amenable and, oh, I'm blessed. Oh, I can praise the Lord okay. When I'm blessed, I feel blessed. But Jesus is saying something different. He's saying, I've told you all these things that in me you may have peace. See, that's the only place that we are guaranteed peace is dwelling and abiding in Christ, who we are in Christ, who Christ is in God. Boy, that's amazing. That That is is ancient Christianity. That we actually have come into the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not exactly that we invite Jesus into our life, but God invites us into the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it is in them that we have peace. And he goes on to say, in the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome. I have overcome. The world. And so this is something to rejoice in, and yet we have to face facts. And the first fact we need to face is you need to come to terms with adversity. The inevitability of adversity. Now, Jesus spoke at length at times about the great troubles that that we would face as followers of his. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 9, he said, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And some people think that's referring to Jews or Jewish followers of Jesus. I think personally it's more general than that. It's to disciples of Jesus, and we're seeing that all over the world even now. And that might be specific to a time period. I'll not argue with you on that, but I believe that this is something that we have, have as an inheritance in christ and i'll show you this tomorrow night because tomorrow night i want us to look at romans chapter 8 and it tells us of the great blessings that we have in jesus christ but one of the inheritances that we have in him is that we will suffer with him Hmm. paul the apostle he talked about light afflictions (laughs) light afflictions in second corinthians 4 listen Second Corinthians 4:16 through18, "Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Light and momentary afflictions. Now, when you look at Paul's biography, what he went through did not look like light afflictions. Let me, in his own words, share with you some of them. You can turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11 if you want, or I can just read it to you, 2 Corinthians 11, 25 to... Almost verse 33 or thereabouts. Listen to what he says. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Bet he didn't have his quad time then. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. In danger from bandits in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. <laughs> and this sounds like maybe the top of the pops for him. I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. <laughs> Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. Light afflictions? (laughs) But you see, what he's talking about is these, in his perspective... And and that's what God's trying to get in our lives is the Holy Spirit's perspective of our afflictions today. Paul realizes that they are light and momentary in comparison with the exceeding weight of glory that awaits us as children of God. It's amazing. Peter, of course was forewarned by Jesus of his own crucifixion. We believe that Peter was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus. But then Peter also forewarns the saints in the reading that we, we had tonight. If you look at First Peter again, chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory... There it is. There's the, the, the trade-off, the suffering in place of His glory if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for, whoa, the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Who wants more of the Spirit of God on them tonight? Amen. Yes, all you Pentecostal charismatic types, you want that, yeah? Yeah? Who wants more glory? More glory, more, more glory. Who wants more suffering? The ratio is relative. The ratio of the spirit of glory and God resting on you is relative to the suffering. Mm, No amens now. (laughs) Peter probably wrote shortly before or after the burning of the city of Rome. It was also at the beginning of 200 years of Christian persecution. And the people of Rome suspected that Nero uh, had set the city alight because he was a great architect and builder. He had a lust to build new buildings. And so historians think that he actually burned the place down so as he could build it up again. But the people, the Roman people were devastated because their whole culture was decimated in the fire. You know, historical artifacts, their idols, their temples were, were burned to the ground. And so they resented it so much, and Nero realized it was going to be an uprising. He was in trouble. So he used the Christians as a scapegoat. And we believe that this is either prophetically or after the event, when Peter is writing to them to say, don't think it's strange what's going on. And you see this word Happening to you at the very end of verse 12. Though something strange were happening to you. The actual word literally means to fall by chance. Don't you think that this is something you're just unlucky or something? This is happening by chance. No, 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 no. Peter once told Jesus, you remember in Matthew 16, not to go to the cross. You remember that? Put it out of your head. F.B. Meyer said, once it seemed strange to the Apostle Peter that his master should think of suffering. Now, in this epistle, he thinks it strange that Jesus could have imagined anything else. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery ordeal or trial that is to try you as if something is just happening to you. Now, actually, Peter gives us the answer in chapter 4, how to overcome adversity. And this is not my message, but um, it, it is helpful if you look at these verses. He says, first of all, to expect it, verse 12. Don't think it's strange. So you need to come to terms with adversity. And then secondly, he says, rejoice in it, verse 13 and 14. Now, how on earth do you do that? Well, the only way I can figure out is that just as Jesus endured the cross despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. It's the joy of the glory that we will have with Christ that keeps us going through the trial and the suffering. That's the only way we can rejoice in who we are in Christ that will get us through. That this suffering accrues to me an exceeding weight of glory. And then thirdly, in verse 15 through 18, he says, Evaluate the cause of your suffering. Some Christians are always whining about suffering and they're suffering because they're a pain in the neck. It's true. It's nothing to do with their faith in Christ. It's because they're obnoxious. They're rude. They're arrogant. They're ungracious. They shove the gospel down people's throats. They're holier than thou. I'll not go on. (laughs) But you understand what I'm talking about. But they're persecuted all the time. No, they're not. And so don't suffer as a criminal. Peter's saying you shouldn't be suffering because you're living a wrong life or because of uh, ungodly character traits. So you need to um, evaluate why you're suffering. Am I really suffering for Jesus? Is there something going on that's more than that? We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then finally, entrust your suffering to God. Verse 19, as a faithful creator. Really that's talking about faith. First. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. It's our faith, folks. Smyrna was a church, one of the seven churches of Asia Minor that John wrote letters to, Inspired, inspired by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jesus speaking to these seven churches, and then we get the apocalypse from. And in chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, we have a church. that's a church called Smyrna. And that's Izmir in, in modern-day Turkey. And do you know what the name Smyrna means or uh, comes from? It's the, the word mer, that very precious thing that was brought even to Jesus at his his birth. And it's often used to to anoint the dead. And this church was named after Mare. I'm told it was the most beautiful city in all of Asia. It was a center for science and for medicine, interestingly. And it was also a focus of strong emperor worship. And it was into that situation that Jesus says through John... Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you, I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Do you know that 50 years after John the Apostle's death, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, this very city, was burned alive at 86 years of age for refusing to worship Caesar as God. And do you know this was a church that suffered greatly, and it's unique among the seven churches of Asia Minor that John writes messages from Jesus to. You know why? Because there's no criticism of this church. Not one word of criticism, but just commendation. Why? They're highly commended simply because they are walking the Calvary road. They're walking the Jesus way. That's the way of the cross. And do you know that John the Apostle was pro- probably the only, the only of the apostles that did not die a martyr? Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten and then crucified. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. James of Zebedee was beheaded. Judas, not Iscariot, we know how he died, but Judas Thaddeus was stoned to death. Matthew was speared to death. Peter, we've already seen, was crucified upside down. Philip was crucified. Simon was crucified. I mean, when we hear about Jesus saying, you've got to take up your cross and follow me, we weren't reckoning that these guys were literally going to be crucified. But they were. Thomas was speared to death. Matthias was stoned to death. <laughs> Who wants to follow Jesus? <laughs> Let's see a raise of a hands. Whoa. Listen, it's not all doom and gloom, okay? I want you to understand. (laughs) But But you need to know. You need to face facts. You need to come to terms with adversity. And when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord in first century, you were signing your death warrant on many occasions. It's easy now. Here in the West, I mean, not other parts of the world. Not North Korea. Not Iran. Not parts of Africa. But the first step to overcome adversity is not to be in denial. And some Pentecostal charismatic dear people have imbibed a false doctrine, a deception that they will never suffer in this life. And you'll never overcome if you believe that lie. And you don't face and come to terms with adversity. And some of you tonight maybe need to renounce that lie. I, there's, we did tell you this is the best life. The, the devil is the thief, the murderer and the destroyer. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Yes, but that's life in the midst of death all around. That's life that comes out of persecution. Life that comes out of taking your stand for Jesus, whatever the cost might be. It's in the midst of that. That's the miracle. It's not a miracle to have blessedness when you're a billionaire. Where's the miracle there? Now, God can make you a billionaire. Don't get me wrong. God can make you a billionaire. He can make anybody a billionaire. That's easy for him. What's not easy? is to cause you to endure the cross and not deny him. That takes grace. Here's the second thing. The first thing, facing facts, you need to come to terms with adversity. The second thing, you need to understand how God uses adversity. Now, the question of suffering is the greatest, probably the greatest philosophical and theological dilemma that mankind has ever faced. And I'm certainly not fitted to answer those questions. But I want to share at least a couple of things initially with you, and these are deep things. But first of all, you need to know God is not the author of evil. And if your theology teaches you that, there's something wrong with your theology. God is not the author of evil. And what I mean by that is he is not the first cause of evil. Okay? I I don't want to go any further into that because it gets more difficult. You just need to simply affirm that God doesn't make bad things happen. It's not in his heart to do that. But secondly, we also, and this is another truth that you need to realize, we live in a fallen world. Now what that simply means is when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and the curse came, we live in a world where stuff happens. Do you understand? Bad stuff. Because we're in a fallen world. Accidents happen. Tragedies take place. Because there is a general environment of fallenness. And then thirdly, We also need to face the fact that we all have free choice. God has given us free choice. Now, that's unfortunate in some respects, but which one of us here would like to put their hand up and say, I would like to relinquish my free choice? I'd like to become a robot or a puppet. None of us would. And yet it is the free choice of the person sitting beside you or the person you're married to or the person you're working with or the brother or sister that's in your church. It's their free choice that is also the power to hurt you. Okay? So if we're going to say, please, I want free choice and autonomy for myself, we have to then allow other people to have it. But that means that there are effects to the decisions that we make and other people make toward us. And it's not right to point a finger at God and say, why are you letting this happen to me? Or why are you making this person make my life a misery? I know that doesn't answer all the questions. And, of course, the spin-off to that question of suffering and the things that I've just alluded to causes questions around God's sovereignty. And we get confused about it. If if I've got free will and I'm responsible, but God is also shown as sovereign within his word, if God is in control, then why? why? Why is this happening? Why is he allowing this to happen? If he's sovereign and in control. Well, I want to say something. Hope it doesn't make you fall off the edge of your seat here tonight. But God, I would like to say God is not in control. That's not a, that's not a good term, I think. God is not in control. We need to think Him. When we talk about God in control, we think He's directing everything. Or, to put it another way, we think He's micromanaging everything. God is in control. If you've been in a controlling relationship, yeah, you, that's not a good thing. So God is not in control in that sense, meaning that every single thing that happens, God has ordained. Rather, I think it would be better if we started using terminology, God is in charge. So we're not robbing anything of him. We're not diminishing his power. We're just, we're saying he's in charge, which means he, he ultimately redeems even the bad decisions that we make and other people make. That's different. One of the best illustrations of this that I've heard over my time is that of the ocean liner. Some of you may have heard this one. And the ocean liner, a uh, big cruise ship is maybe traveling across the Atlantic. And everybody on board is doing their own thing. You know, sunbathing, eating, drinking, swimming, whatever. They're, they have a choice to do what they, they want to do on board. But the captain is steering that vessel to its destination irrespective of what they do on board. Do you understand? Captain's not micromanaging everything. And in fact I would suggest to you, this this does not this concept of God's sovereignty does not create a weak God at the behest of everyone's whim. But rather I think it excels his sovereignty to the point that's remarkable to me that even the mess that I make when I turn to him, he's able to bring it all to good. Because he's in charge. And I think that's what Romans 8.28 means. God works together for good. Everything. Everything? Everything's not good. That's not what Romans 8.28 says. It doesn't say everything's good because everything's not good. And everything's not God. But the miracle of his sovereign power is he works it all for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. That makes me wanna worship. Amen. Huh? It makes me want to say with Paul in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's say that together. To Him be the glory. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Isn't it wonderful? No matter what nonsense and rubbish and debris, no matter what a car wreck your life has been, nothing is wasted. Nothing. He works all things together for good. So you begin to understand how God uses adversity. Now that doesn't answer the question, all your questions. It certainly doesn't answer the question, why is this particular thing happening to me right now and not happening to someone else? But I have a hunch that even if we knew the answers to every little minutiae question of suffering in our life, will it kill our pain? Will it? Probably not. And therefore even though we understand God's ultimate purpose in adversity to bring good for us eventually, and we'll see a little bit more in a moment, we at some time in our life have to embrace mystery like a little child. I don't understand, but I trust my faithful creator who is good. And you know one of the greatest mysteries? And I'm not, I'm not going to try to explain this because I can't. Before there was sin, before there was death, before there was pain, before there was sickness, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. There was hurt in the heart of God before there was ever sin. Now, I can't explain that, but that makes me know God's big enough. Jürgen Moltmann wrote a theological treatise called The Crucified God. That's the one we worship. And God uses suffering, okay? Ultimately for our good, as we'll see. But also, there's something to learn through suffering. Hebrews chapter 5, and this goes back to my introduction, really. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says this. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what? He suffered. Can I repeat that? Son, though he was. Could I add to that? Perfect son, sinless son that he was. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. So if suffering was a tool that was used in the life of Jesus to cause him to learn, to teach him, then how can we say that we're not going to be taught by it in our lives? So we should never deny the place of suffering that builds Christ-likeness in us. Gene Edwards, in his book, The Inward Journey, says this. Listen carefully. In every generation, there have been people who have emphasized how much blessing there is in Christ. In our day, this has come to be called the prosperity gospel. On the other hand, there are those who always present the suffering of the Christian life to the point of morbidity. That's not what we want to do tonight. But he says these, I suppose, could be called Christian masochists. The problem is that there is truth in both claims. But be sure, listen to this, 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 this goes deep into my heart. Be sure the prosperity gospel has always sold better than the cross. The prosperity gospel has always sold better than the cross because it's a spiritualized version of the American dream. He goes on to say, now listen, this is very, very important. Young Christians are always surprised, even amazed, at the extent to which the Lord allows suffering in each of our lives, and so are the old ones, old Christians. Those who have been raised on a prosperity gospel are very susceptible to having their faith destroyed when life, the world, sin, weakness, family problems poor health, and a myriad of other things come crashing down on them. And that is especially the case with spirit-filled Pentecostals and Charismatics. We've got to be honest, we're not very good at suffering at times because we don't know what to do when we hit the wall, we hit the cul-de-sac, we hit the desert and the wilderness, and we're crying out to God and he doesn't seem to be answering. And the healing's not coming and the deliverance is not coming. And the breakthrough's not coming. Is that just me? We want to know his power. Yes. We want to know his glory and his power resting upon us. And Paul says, I count everything as dung that I might win Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Whisper this bit. And the fellowship of his sufferings. We want to know the power, but we don't want to know the suffering. And it, sorry, that's not the way it works. And I believe in prosperity in the sense I believe God prospers our souls, and God can prosper our bodies, and God can prosper our bank balance if He chooses. We are proud of preaching a full gospel, but there's a fuller gospel. Which may actually show we've only been preaching a half gospel. And Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Yeah. There's a cross for you. There's a cross for you. And there's a cross for me to die on. How do we overcome? We need to face facts we need to come to terms with adversity. It's inevitable. Secondly, we need to understand how God uses adversity, the deep internal work of the cross. Imagine the very thing that maybe we're rolling away from. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And maybe it's his cross. We're resisting the very thing that he wants to bring into our lives so that we would know more of his power. Here's the third thing. We need to to discern how to react to adversity. And Mark was talking about this in a sense this morning. We need to um, mature our spiritual senses to learn what's from God and what's not. We need to discern how to react to adversity. Now, it has to be said that most of the suffering that's talked about in the Bible... Um, is per- persecution for the faith. I mean, most of the verses that talk about us going through trial and tribulation, these fiery trials, were because of suffering for the name. In other words, it's not a been-grown toenail. Um, it's it's you know, naming the name of Jesus in the public square and being stoned to death or crucified for it or persecuted in lesser ways. Now, I do not use the word persecution, okay, for Christians here in the UK or Ireland. Because we are not. I don't care what you think. Or what your mate on Facebook says. We are not going through persecution. Alright. And don't use those words. When people are being beheaded. And being imprisoned for their faith. But what I do believe. Is here. And is coming to a greater extent. Is less tolerance. Towards the Christian faith. Especially in the public square. And it may someday lead to persecution sooner perhaps than we think but we need to know we need to discern how to react I'm going to talk about this more tomorrow night uh, really all about from Romans 8 about how to deal with adversity in a practical way but here's the three things I, I want you to understand as far as I can see and you might enlighten me after this I think there are three areas that adversity come from? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Do you reckon that covers it? So the world is where we might face intolerance and persecution. Yeah? And the way we react to that is to endure, to persevere, to stand in the strength of the Lord. Everything we've been talking about already. And if it means to resist the blood, Striving against sin. I don't know. I'm just standing before you. I don't know whether I can do that. I need a lot of grace to do that. That's the world we need to endure. And then there's the flesh. You know what Peter actually in this epistle. You can turn to chapter 2. And verse 11, he says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. (laughs) So the way you face adversity from the world is to endure even to the point of crucifixion because you've already carried your cross. You've already chosen to die for Jesus. But the way that you, you deal with adversity in the flesh is you crucify You crucify the things that war against your soul. You bring them to the cross again. And then the third is the devil. The accuser of the brothers and the sisters. And Brian actually quoted from this verse last evening. These verses in Revelation twelve ten through 11. The New King James Version says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation or deliverance and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. you seeing a pattern here. Are you? The way we endure adversity from the world is through the cross, even if it means our own cross. The way we endure adversity of the things that war against the soul, the lust, is through the cross when we bring those things to crucifixion and they die in us before the cross of Jesus Christ. And the way we overcome the devil and everything demonic is through the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. And our testimony, which Derek Prince says, is when we declare what the Bible says the blood of Jesus does for us. And when we tell the devil what the blood of Jesus does for us, that's the word of our testimony, and we overcome him, even if we have to go and shed our own blood, we'll still overcome him. I remember last year. Do you remember last year? (laughs) We were singing. We weren't allowed to sing. And with all our masks on, we're allowed to sing. And I said to you, don't be singing now. You remember I did say that now. And I started singing, there's power in the blood. And these all started singing anyway. But there was a deliverance took place in this place, publicly. Because of the power of the blood of Jesus. I don't think we really understand the power of the blood of Jesus. The way to deal with the devil, right? The way to deal with the world, adversity in the world, what is it? Endure. The way to deal with adversity in, in, in our flesh is what? Crucify. And the way to deal with adversity from the devil is resist. So you need to know, folks. Is my adversity... Okay, here's where the discernment comes in how to react to adversity. Is my adversity coming from the world, therefore I just need to take my stand, even if it means I need to die for Jesus? Is it the flesh... Are these problems, problems of my mind that need to be crucified? Or healing of my heart that needs to be brought to the cross? But if it's the devil, then we resist him. As James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the only one who can tell you which of, it, which of these it is, is the Holy Spirit. And you can read all the books you like on spiritual warfare and trial and adversity. Go to all the seminars and conferences you're not going to get it in a book or from a preacher. You get it from the Holy Spirit. He will show you what to do. And this is where I talk about prior prayers. You need to pray a prior prayer before the prayer, get behind me, Satan, deliver me, Lord, whatever it might be. You need to say, Lord, this has been permitted to come into my life. Would you show me how to react to this? Am I to resist or am I to submit? (laughs) Can I ask you a cheeky question? You Pentecostal folk, charismatic folk, how much do you submit to? I'm talking about in the realm of trial and suffering. Or is your first go-to... And I love this about you. I'm the same, okay? I, I know about spiritual warfare and deliverance and all that. But as you first go go to resist, I resist the devil in Jesus' name. This is from the enemy because God wants me happy all the time. He wants no problems in my life. No adversity. This couldn't be the will of God for me. What? So we need the Holy Spirit to tell us. Watchman, I don't know whether you're familiar with his writings. But Watchman Nee wrote a little precious. Priceless book years ago. Called Release. Of the Spirit. Does anybody know that book? That is a profound book on preaching. But it's a profound book on suffering. Because what he's basically saying. And by the way. This is a man who spent the last 20 years of his life in prison. In China because of his faith. Okay. So he's, he's not a wannabe like me. Regarding suffering. He talks about us as having this treasure, this treasure of the glory and the life of God indwelling us, but we are earthen, we are clay vessels. And the cracks that come into these clay vessels are in order that the glory should shine out and others should see the glory. And the basic thesis of his book is that we resist the very things, very often, that will release the spirit. Because we're adverse to adversity. And I'm the biggest card and sissy of the lot, okay? Okay? But I'm not stupid. And I know my Bible fairly well. And I can look over my 40, almost 6 years of my life and see that the times that I have grown exponentially, the time that the anointing of God has increased powerfully, like Jesus, have been the times when not only I've been driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, but then I've come out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit, as he did. Simon, could I have that slide on the screen? Maybe you could dull the lights there for a moment so as we can see it. Thank you. Do you see that? Is anybody familiar with the Japanese art of kintsugi? Put your hand up if you've heard of kintsugi. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Well, it literally means golden joinery or golden repair. And it's the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of the breakage with a kind of lacquer that's dusted or it's mixed powder with... With gold and silver or platinum dust. And this is what they do they mend these broken items with precious gold, silver, and platinum. And it's beautiful, isn't it? But there's a philosophy behind Kintsugi, and it is that breakages in our life and repair are actually a part of our history. Not something that we need to be ashamed of or disguised, but something, if it's given over to God, that He can make beautiful. Now, some of you older ones will remember, I think it was a Gaither song, Something Beautiful. Do you know that one? Something Good. All My Confusions... He understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Listen, if you want that, you need to first of all face the facts that adversity, <clears throat> Job says, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Don't be in denial and don't believe some Christian fairy tale that there'll never be suffering in your life. It's a lie. And you might need to renounce that tonight to be set free, to allow God to do that something beautiful in your life. Listen, I believe in healing. I see healing. I see transformation. I believe in the supernatural. I want to see more of it. I'm a glory hunter. But we've got to be balanced and preach the whole counsel of God. And we're doing a disservice to the saints of God if we're teaching them that you won't suffer in this life. You need to understand how God uses suffering. And you need to discern how to react to adversity. Do you submit or do you resist? Let's pray. Can we have the lights on please? Now let's take a few moments. Thank you, Simon. Let's take a few moments. I want to repeat that question to you now. Do you need to submit or do you need to resist? Right? Which is it? Maybe you don't know. That's okay. Well, then your job tonight is to come to the Lord and say, Lord, what am I meant to do in this situation? You've allowed this. I'm not saying you caused it, but you've allowed it. And if you want to work everything for good in my life, well, how do I react to this so that I can get the greatest good out of this that I can? I remember hearing Graham Cook say that we, we need to see every trial with a signpost beside it pointing to blessing. We need to be looking at our trials and saying, getting excited now It's not me i can assure you but we need to look at our trials and start getting excited and think what blessing has god got here for me now that's changing our perspective not being in denial so we need to ask father what's your plan for this would you please teach me is this coming directly from satan and do i need to resist this i submit myself to you and then i resist the devil and some of you need to do that and a lot of christians need to do that more than they realize Because Satan is going about as a roaring lion. The same author says this, uh, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. So there's spiritual warfare. It's real. There's an enemy. But some of you are fighting with God. Fighting with God. And you need to submit. I just see Jesus now. In the garden of Gethsemane. On his faith. If it's possible. Let this cup pass from me. And he was heard. He was heard because of his groanings and cryings of suffering but he learned obedience to the things that he suffered so he then prays but not my will not not what I want you know some intercessory ministry is just it's like witchcraft I'm gonna get what I want it's like slot machine prayer I put the prayer, the declaration, the faith in, and I get out what I want. Now, don't misunderstand me. I understand faith's intrinsic to prayer. I understand intercession. I understand praying the promises of God. I live by them. I eat by them. My bills are paid by them. But, friend, you cannot manipulate God. God is God. Submit or resist? Which is it? Which is it? There will be prayer afterwards. I'm going to pray in a moment. Don't move. But there will be prayer afterwards for anyone who needs healing. He does heal. So maybe it's breakthrough that you're. But maybe. Could it be some people don't get the breakthrough because. They haven't learned obedience to the things that they've suffered. Now, I've heard people say, you know, God doesn't send illness. He doesn't. I don't believe he sends illness. He, he may allow it in our lives. But I've heard some people say, you know, Jesus never said to anyone in the gospels, You haven't I'm not healing you because you haven't learned the lesson yet. I understand that. I, I get that. He went about healing all. I know that. But but you can't tell me either that in some of our sufferings there aren't lessons that are being learned. And sometimes it's because we won't accept the lesson that we don't move on to the next class. You understand? So maybe you need to actually surrender and that's where your healing will come. You stop fighting with God. I don't know, I don't know, but ask him, ask him. And I'm going to pray for you now as the Lord leads me. And then afterwards, uh, Brian or or Gary or Brian will give you more specific directions Or you can just come up to the front. They'll move maybe a a row of chairs. And some of the team, the folk who are ministering this weekend, the trusted people, you know who you are. If you would um, come and help. I'm not praying for everybody. Um, So Father, I come to you thanking you that you are our Abba. And you don't want us to suffer You didn't bring the curse. You love us. We brought the curse. Through disobedience. So we acknowledge. That Satan is the author. Of lies, murder, and suffering, and death. And Lord, we also. We're sorry for our simplistic and childish approach to suffering which is not actually childlike we want to understand everything and we want to have formula and mechanisms to get out I'm a Christian, get me out of here that's what we're looking for we're looking for an easy deal an easy life and we renounce the lies that we have believed And we ask now for the gift of discernment to know the source of our suffering. Show anybody here tonight if their suffering is because they're not living righteously. Their character is actually drawing hatred and animosity because of the way they are conducting themselves. Now, we've got to be, judgment must begin at the house of God. That's what this passage says. We need to take a good hard look at ourselves before they point the finger. There are guys in Belfast that are being arrested for open air preaching and say, they think they're being persecuted. They're not being persecuted. They're ranting and raving against homosexuals in a hateful way. They're, they're behaving like mad people. I know plenty of people doing open airs and they're not being arrested. That's not persecution. It might come. That's not what that is. So you need to face facts about yourself. But then you need to, maybe, some of you do need deliverance tonight. And there's an obstacle of the enemy. And you need help to get rid of that tonight. But you know something? My message is called Facing Facts. Listen, I believe in deliverance ministry. But the truth sets you free. The truth sets you free. And some of you need to embrace the truth of what God's already told you. What, you need to obey what God already told you to do, and you haven't done it. And you can run for prayer tonight, but you haven't obeyed what He told you to do. I'll save you the journey. Just sit there in your seat and tell God you're going to obey Him. Amen. So, Father, would you just come in your grace and in your glory? Lord, I don't think I've ever been in your glory. I mean, I was hearing at the dinner table tonight from Rosemary we were listening about the glory that came in the 1950s and our father was used i'm hungry for that glory lord and it's not just to get some kind of buzz we, we know your glory is where you are it's the sign of your presence we just we know you're here we know you're here you promised to be here but we love it when you when you show signs that you're you're here We don't want to live off those. We haven't been living off those. We've been living by faith. But Lord, we just... I I know my wife loves me. But i like a hug and a kiss now and again. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once said, Lord, you know, and I'm just saying for the benefit of these people, God walks with us hand in hand like a father does with his child. But every now and again, he sweeps us up in his arms. Lord, would you sweep us up in your arms. And whatever adversity people are going through here tonight, that you would bring your glory and your spirit upon them. That you would translate, transform the suffering, the fiery trial, the blood, sweat, and tears. That you would, you would turn it into the gold like the Kintsugi pottery that will make something beautiful. And Lord, we want to say to you tonight... We are not asking to make sense of it. We're just asking for you to make it beautiful. For your glory. And Holy Spirit, would you gift us with discernment to know what our problems actually are. So that we may seek out the remedy. In Jesus' name. Amen.